0: You ought to be able to tell me where we're at tonight, but just in case you can't, 2 Peter chapter 1, we continue our series entitled Add, 2 Peter chapter 1, and then once you found your place there in 2 Peter chapter 1, go ahead and take your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. So we'll begin in 2 Peter 1, and then we will continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The series is entitled Add certain graces in the Christian life that Peter is telling us that we need to add to our faith. In the very first week, we looked at the foundation of faith, and you must have faith in order to be a Christian. You can't live the Christian life without faith. You're not a Christian without faith. The Christian life begins in faith and is ran in faith. In fact, on Wednesday night, we did a rather interesting study about Adam and Eve and about the, the famous tree and the forgotten tree, but... As I studied that, I found out that no matter whether we had still lived in a perfect world or a sinful world, God's uh, plan for us that we would always live in faith, and that was what the tree of life represented—daily sustenance for Adam and Eve. They were they were depending on God that He would make the garden grow, and it was kind of a fantastic relationship. But even before the fall, our life was to be lived out in faith, and so is after the fall. And we see that that's where it started. But then we've covered now six so far, and tonight we'll cover the seventh Christian grace that we ought to be continually making sure that we're adding in our life. And we'll see those spelled out for us. But we'll start reading in 2 Peter chapter one, verse number one. Our passage will be found in verse number seven, though. We'll start in verse number one. The Bible says, "Simon Peter, a servant." And an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue." "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." Now, don't mistake what the passage is saying. It's saying the ultimate goal in every Christian's life ought to be to achieve a level of godliness... For God hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God doesn't want Christians just living life. He wants Christians to be seeking after and trying to attain life and godliness. And it's through these graces that we find the ability to become godly and represent Him in this world. See our first graces in verse number 5. The Bible says, And beside this... And giving all diligence. Now, pay attention. That's kind of what our passage this morning said something similar. Now, you give all diligence to this. Add to your faith, because we assume that if you're a Christian, you have faith. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, which is what we spoke about last week. And then we'll conclude the lesson series on this. And to brotherly kindness, charity. Charity. Now take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's where we'll find our primary text for the evening But the Bible commands us to not only add brotherly kindness, and if you were here last week, you know that that word is the exact same word used for brotherly love. The word is Philadelphia. The root word is phileo. And so it's saying brotherly kindness, but brotherly love ought to be where brotherly kindness begins. We are kind because we love, or that's the way it ought to be. And now it says we need to go a step further, and just brotherly love to those that are of the household of faith, is not enough. Now it says we ought to add to our faith charity. Verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this chapter speaks a great deal on the importance of adding charity. Verse 1 says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Charity, uh, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Bearing all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. We spoke last week on phileo, brotherly love, brotherly kindness, and we said that if we were to have a, uh, an equivalent to that word in our language, it might be more easily understood as liking someone. You remember back when you were in school and, uh, and maybe a cute girl in your class when we were very young passed you a note and it said, Do you like me? And there were two boxes there. There was a box for yes and there was a box for no. When you checked that box yes... You may have liked other people in your classroom, but what you were trying to say was, I like you a little differently than I like everybody else in the classroom. And you either checked yes to let her know, Hey, yeah, I do like you. Or, you know, you may have passed the note. Or or you may have said, No, I don't like you any differently. But, But if we were to understand phileo, it is definitely love. And I'm not trying to degrade from the word. But in our language, phileo is a brotherly care and concern. In other words, I care greatly about Brother Adam. I care greatly about him, and I want him to always know that if there's anything I can do for him, uh, whether sick or not. And let me just say this right here. If you're going through a hard time, that's what our church is here for. We don't want you to serve in your good times so that you can sit and sulk in your bad times. We ask you to cook meals for ladies that are going through difficult times We want ladies to cook meals for you when you're going through difficult times. And and that's what we're here for, is to serve one another. And you know what that comes out of? It is produced out of a heart of brotherly love, concern, and care. And that's liking someone. I said it was not enough to just love someone. That's what we do. We say, I'll love them, but I'm not going to like them. Well, that's, that's not God. God did not encourage you to say that. Because God not only loves me, but He likes me too. And so we have brotherly love, and that's what we looked at last week. The other type of love used in the Bible is eros. You obviously know that. Most of you probably could teach this more effectively than me. But it speaks more of a physical attraction. Uh, Most of the time it's used in context of sexual desires, an eros type of love. Uh, But we have agape, which stands alone as its own. Agape is actually the word for charity. It's love. We would know it is love. Agape stands alone in that it's, it's different from the other two. I'm going to read this man's quote because he said it a lot better than I can, but he said In Philea, the partners seek mutual solace. In other words, you serve in bad times so that. Maybe one day somebody will serve in their bad times. It's a bit of a scratch my back, scratch your back relationship. I want Brother Adam to know I'm here, but I hope that Brother Adam's there for me too. And so there is a mutual advantage. In sexual love, or eros, there is a mutual satisfaction achieved. In both cases, these feelings are aroused because of what the loved one is. In other words, I like Brother Adam. He's a good guy, and so I like him. I love my wife in much more of an eros way than Brother Adam, amen? Because I think she's pretty, she's attractive. But in both cases, these people are, have certain qualities that are to be desired. But in this case, with agape, it is the reverse, because God's agape is not evoked by what we are, but by what He is. Agape has its origin in the agent, not in the object. And that's why anybody would ever teach that, you know, you could lose your salvation because of things that you do. They don't understand agape type of love. Because agape love transcends performance. Agape love is not dependent upon if you are good, then I will love you. Agape love looks beyond whether or not you are worthy of the love and loves you in any ways. That's agape love. And that's what the Bible is teaching us to do, that we should add to our brotherly love, a love that is concerned for those that are around us. But it is encouraging us and telling us that we ought to add a love that is much more like God, which is not dependent upon your actions but it is dependent upon God's love working through me. I don't know how to illustrate this. I try to figure out the best ways to do it, the best ways to help us understand very deep and difficult subjects, but if I were to take you tonight, and I knew a place where maybe there was a group of folks on a street corner and they had picket signs, and these picket signs read something like this. It's my body, it's my choice. Or maybe the sign read something like this. Pro-choice. It's the only thing that makes sense. And you would obviously be at a, a, a rally for abortion. And everybody in that rally would disagree with us fundamentally on a very important subject. And that is the sanctity of life. And they disagree with us on the origin of life. When does life begin? And I just believe it begins at conception. The Bible says that the Lord knew our parts even before they were formed in the womb. In other words, being imperfect, God knew us. Before we had hands and feet and legs. And and we would disagree greatly with them. And maybe their rally gets quite toxic. Maybe they get angry at maybe some other folks that pass by and say things. What if I were to take you And make sure that you wore the clothes that you're wearing now, your church clothes, and you put under your arm a Bible, and I just placed you right in the middle of them. Do you think that the love that would, or the emotion that would produce in your spirit after hearing what they had to say and hearing them criticize you, do you think the emotion that would arise in your spirit would be love for them? What if I were to be able to take you and somehow transport you to, let's just say, a Muslim country? where every once in a while they'll bow down and they'll face Mecca and they'll uh, pray to Allah there. And, and what if I were to put you in one of their rallies where they're, they're talking about praise Allah and talking about how death to everyone who does not believe in Allah. What if I were to take you in your church clothes tonight, And place you right smack dab in the center of the room. And remember, we're not doing like an iPad Bible. We're doing like a legit KJV 1611, although those are kind of hard to read, by the way. But if you were to put that under your arm, you know, the big family Bible right there under your arm. If I were to put you right smack dab in the room, do you think that their reaction to you being there would be one that would encourage in your spirit love? Love? Brotherly love speaks of loving those that are around us, those that are of the household of faith. It, it really is encouraged to fellow believers, but agape love is universal. First Thessalonians chapter 3 says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Now notice this, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. God doesn't want you just to love the household of faith, but he wants you to love everyone regardless of their political viewpoints, regardless of their background or heritage, regardless of where they came from or what they might think about you. God's hope for you and God's will for you is that you would love them regardless of what they do, what they say or how they behave. Easy enough, right? Let's pray and go home. We've all got that figured out. Chances are, we've been in situations where the last emotion that raises up in our spirit is love. I'll tell you, when the lady at McDonald's can't get your order because, you know, the speaker's kind of hard to hear, that's the last situation where love incites in your spirit. Maybe they give you, maybe you're like me and you order a Dr. Pepper No Ice, and as soon as they hand you the cup, it rattles. Those are very difficult situations in everyday life that probably don't incite love, but God wants us, To have love for all men in all places, in all situations. That is agape love. And it's important, and that's what God wants us to do. So let's study it tonight, and we'll see, number one, the priority of charity. Verse number one in chapter 13, the Bible says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Here's the real issue, and I think preachers have done this. Preachers' goal is to obviously see you mature and develop in the Christian faith. They want to see your relationship with Christ grow. But preachers have, throughout the course of time, believed that we ought to win them, wet them, work them. And I think it's a good practice. I've heard a long time ago that when you get plugged into a church, you've got to grab onto something so it becomes yours. And now you're invested in that church. And now you want to serve in that church and work in that church. And it becomes your church and not just the church that you belong to. And I believe that. But in our efforts in doing that, where we just win people and we find a place to plug them in, here's what we've done. We've created a type of Christian robot. Someone who's able to accomplish feats. They're able to perform in ministry, but they do it without the most important element charity. And so, what happens is when the Bible says you can have all the skill, all the abilities, all the things in the world, but if you have not charity, everything is useless. We ought to pay attention. And it doesn't matter if you've been at our church three months or it doesn't matter if you've been at our church for 30 years. You ought to evaluate your life and make sure that no matter where you're serving, you better be serving with charity because otherwise everything we do is useless. You'll notice that the Bible teaches that it is more important. Charity is more important than impressive gibberish. That's what he says in verse number one. He says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, though I can really preach a great sermon, though I can speak in a heavenly language, though I can uh, really impress people with the words that I say, if I have not charity, he says this, I am become as sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now, sounding brass, this is the letter written to the church at Corinth, and Paul uses uh, an example of something that they would have been very familiar with sounding brass would have spoken to them because every single day in Corinth, there was paganistic worship that took place. It was a wicked place, probably the most wicked and most pagan in the ancient world. That's why Paul was so burdened with reaching the city. And in these worship services for these false deities, they were very, very carnal and seductive. And oftentimes what they would do is they would enter into these mosh pits of sorts and they would they would dance around very violently in many cases they would introduce uh, drugs and alcohol to incite the worship and what they had to encourage the practice you know every church has got to have music right what they what they would do to encourage the worship is they had these big big metal drums copper actually and these drums were beaten in the worship services, so dum 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 dum, and as they partied, I guess you could say, as they danced around, the drums would increase in speed. Dum 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 dum. You ever wonder why maybe we don't have drums on the platform? I don't want to go too far there, but but it has been traditionally used with paganistic worship. And and what happened was as they sped up the drums and the whine began to take effect in their lives, somebody that was not even at the worship service, somebody not even the same zip code, they could hear these drums echoing through the city. dum 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 dum, dum. You ever had somebody drive by your house listening to their music really loud? Like Brian Free Insurance? Assurance, especially when the bass is singing, you know, that's when they sing the low so low. That's the only way their car rattles, you know. I'll never forget we were living on Irene Street, and every once in a while somebody would go park in the woods behind our house and just crank up their bass as loud as possible, and your house is shaking. The walls would literally shake. Well, we didn't want to be a part of their rap music, but somehow we got voluntold to be a part of their rap music. And that's what would happen. Somebody way off just minding their own business in their household, just doing their daily deeds, and they would hear was constant all the time and what paul's saying is if we serve god even if we can preach the greatest sermon in the world if we serve god without god's love it will just go to annoy people it will frustrate them the tinkling symbol is another reference to something that these folks would have been very familiar with it, this word tinkling means clank together. So it's not like a, ting, 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 you know, not like a snare, you know, drum. Where you... No, no, not like that. I mean, this would have been loud. But what this was, it was a call to war. So you've seen where people would like use trumpets to, to gather warriors or like, and they're, they're charging. You've seen that. Well, in this case, in Corinth, they would have used symbols and it was their way of alerting folks and so it was a call to action but do you know what happens in war when you do guess what the enemy knows you're coming right i mean you can't blow a horn and only your folks hear maybe like if it's an a minus and all of them are tone deaf or a, a flat and they no see the moment you announce charge everyone else knows even the enemy you know what I think this is saying? If we serve God without God's love, agape love, we will go to annoy the, call, annoy the world and frustrate the causes of God, and we will, be, we will let everyone know the insincerity of our service. Because they're going to know we're coming, but we're just going to annoy them with the message. We're going to show up on their doorstep. We're going to knock on their door and they're going to know, see us from a mile away. They'll see that we don't have love emanating from our spirit. I had a conversation with my dad today about someone he knocked on their door the other day. And, and the first words out of her mouth, he said, do you have a church you go to? And she says, I'm actually a minister's daughter, but I'm so frustrated with church members. So I have no problem with church, just church members. You know what people had done? They had treated her in such a manner that they announced their insincerity and their uh, their inauthenticity and so they saw from a mile away that what they had was not what Jesus produces in the lives of His followers. We must have charity. And it is more important than a good sermon. It is more important than timely advice. Charity is the most important thing. It is more important than impressive gibberish. Number two, it is more important than incredible gifts. Verse number two says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains. Now that's something we preach about. Mountain moving kind of faith. And, and here, uh, the, Paul says, If I had all of these things which are to be desired, and I omit the one thing that matters most, and have not charity... I am nothing. Unfortunately, a lot of servants of God use their gifts while neglecting their God. You know how easy it is for a musician to come up here and sing a song like Paid in Full or Blood of the Lamb songs or God's Been Good and never actually know or feel what they're singing about? I can promise you it's easy as a preacher to do the same thing. Get up here and preach a sermon that you know yourself you are guilty of. Listen to me. It does not matter whether or not we have the best singing voice or we're the best soul winner in the church. If we neglect the importance of giving charity to those around us and adding charity to our faith, We are failures no matter what the results say. You see, I was in school. When I was in school, I wasn't the best student. In fact, when I was in school, I wasn't the most honest student. My wife was a fantastic academic. She's very smart, and she cared about schoolwork, not me. There would be times I would forget my uh, homework, and I'd be like, I didn't even remember that, you know. And, And I would come back to school, and I'm like, I got this project to do. And I go to my buddy and say, Hey, do you have your homework? Let's collaborate. (laughs) See, collaborating and cheating is different. We're just working together. He just had all the answers before I did. He said, We're collaborating. And see, I turned that paper into my teacher. Guess what? I didn't do that work. Guess what? I didn't earn that grade. The results said differently, though, didn't it? I mean, to the teacher, I got the grade. See, a lot of folks in their ministry, they're impressed with you as a Sunday school teacher. God's not impressed with you, though. You're not impressing God with your your insincerity. You're not impressing God with the fact that you have these gifts, maybe gifts to teach or speak or care or, or write somebody a timely note. But you've omitted the most important thing, agape love. And I just believe this. It is impossible for a Christian to have agape love if they don't get a daily infusion from God on high. In other words, you're not going to exercise this naturally. It is so counter-opposite of who we were before we met Christ. You need a daily influx coming from the throne on high and spread around those in your life. It is so much more important than impressive gibberish. It is more important than incredible gifts. It is more important than immeasurable generosity. Verse number 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. There were people in the early church, a man by the name of Barnabas, who sold all of his lands and gave to the church. They were able to meet the needs of many because of that. And though I give my body to be burned, even though I become a martyr for the cause of Christ, and, 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 and have not charity... It profiteth me nothing. I may not be doing the best job of this, but will you allow the Holy Scripture to teach you the importance of charity in our life? Every deed you hear preachers preach on, you know, live right, stay committed to the cause of Christ, be separate from the world. All of these things are important, but they are not the most important. Paul says it like this, you can have all of the stuff you hear in all those sermons if you'll work on charity, everything else will take care of itself. You have charity, love like God loves, love for who God loves. You say, how could I do these types of things? How could I have the faith to be burned at the stake? How could I have the faith to sell all my goods to help people and and, and not have this type of love? Well, An act of benevolence is different than the affection of benevolence. The Pharisees were good Christians, quote-unquote. I mean, they were the religious of the day, and yet Jesus said about them, "...but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, and then enlarge the borders of their garment, and love the uppermost rooms of feast, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets." And to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. In other words, they liked the popularity that came along with being the religious. They liked people looking at them and when they would walk by, little kids would just say, one day I want to grow up to be just like him. It's easy for us to desire the position while neglecting the most important things of the Christian life. If you came to this church and you were plugged in early on into a ministry... I hope you love the people that are in that ministry. It is not just enough to serve God. In fact, Paul says quite the opposite. Yeah, we want you serving, but if you're not serving with the spirit of love, it's not going to do you any good. In the last three months, I believe, I've had two people come to me and uh, and they would have to say something like this, Brother Andrew, I'm not able to... to to work like I've worked in the past. I'm not able to serve like I've served. In one case, one of the folks said, well, Brother Andrew, I've I've got so many things going on at the church that I don't feel like I'm doing a good enough job in the areas that really matter. And with tears in their eyes, they hand over these ministries that they want to be in so bad. That's the type of love that it is. It's love that breaks you if you had to give it up. I heard this last week that Miss Jennings, Miss Lois Jennings, she's a wonderful young lady. She sits right there when she's able to come to work. Did you know she wakes up every Sunday morning and gets ready to, for church, knowing that she's more than likely not coming to church? And we have people tonight probably stayed home to watch a stupid Cowboys game. I'm not trying to guilt you, but I'm saying, what? Why are you living the life that you're living? I hope this is more to you than just checking it off your calendar. I hope it's more to you than just making a social event so that you can say, yeah, I'm a member down in Joshua Baptist. But, but Paul says, if you have not charity, everything you, else you do is useless. There are, there's a priority of charity. We ought to love God. We ought to love the people of God. And we ought to love those that don't necessarily love God. It's charity. It's charity. Number two, not only the priority of charity, but the product of charity. What happens when we begin to implement it into our life? Verse number four, the Bible says this, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Now I tried to kind of summarize each of these following few verses, but if we were to summarize verse number 4, I would say this about charity. Charity is selfless. Charity doesn't concern itself with what you get out of a situation. That's what it says. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Maybe somebody's mean to you. Maybe somebody's cruel to you. Maybe somebody speaks bad of you or, or just doesn't speak to you at all and that hurts your feelings. If we have the right kind of love... We would understand that we're not in the relationship, we're not in the situation for us, and our love would begin to be a little bit more patient, and we would not, uh, 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 we would not react and lash out in anger. In fact, that's what it says: charity suffereth long and is kind. When people say mean things or do mean things to you, are you able to be kind to them regardless of their actions? You see, that's what love is. That's what this love is. It's charity. It's acting a certain way and believing a certain way about a person, feeling a certain way about a person, regardless of their actions. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Sometimes it's not easy being kind. Been there. But it's Christ-like to be kind. The Bible says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Charity suffereth long. Charity is selfless. Charity envieth not. You remember the story of Cain and Abel where Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruits and vegetables and Abel brought to the Lord an offering of a lamb. And God accepted Abel's offering but he rejected Cain's offering. The Bible says that Cain became very wroth and began to be angry that Abel's offering was accepted and his was rejected. You know what Cain was missing? This type of charity. I'm not necessarily sure. I would suppose that Cain had a phileo love, a brotherly kind of love. But this kind of love does not envy others when we see success come their way. This kind of love is totally selfless. It's something that only God can allow us to do. The Bible says also in verse number 4, It vaunteth not itself. It boasteth not. It, 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 there is no self-display in this kind of love. So, number one, charity is selfless. We'll find in verse number five, charity is serene. Charity doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. In the face of provocation, charity is able to behave itself in a manner that is pleasing to Christ. Did not Christ do this when He was placed on the cross? 1 Peter chapter number 2 says, Who, when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not. It's a love that allows brethren to dwell together in peace. It's a love that allows us to get along with those that aren't easy to get along with. How many of you all remember being taught when you're growing up, if you'll leave the bee alone, the bee will leave you alone? That's kind of the lesson for life. If you just leave the bee alone, the bee will leave you alone. And I'll never forget letting Caitlin just hang outside one day when she was very, very young. This was when she was our only child. And I let her be outside as a baby and she enjoyed the sun and it kind of calmed her down sometimes. So I was outside with her and she was on the concrete there and, and she was doing nothing. She was just sitting on her hiney looking at the world and enjoying the vitamin D. And out of nowhere, she starts screaming at the top of her lungs. And I rush over, and this is what I find. A bee has buried himself into her arm. I felt betrayed. (laughs) I mean, after all, my mother had taught me growing up, if you do nothing to them, they will do nothing to you. It wasn't like Caitlin had a stick poking their hive. It wasn't like Caitlin was swatting at this bee. Caitlin was minding her own business, and without provocation, that bee attacked her. You know what that bee lacked? Agape love. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to understand sometimes, if we're not careful, we can behave a little bit like that bee did. Without provocation, we fly off the handle. And and agape love goes even a step farther than doing it without provocation. Agape love goes the step where it says, even after provocation, even after somebody's really spoken bad about us, even after somebody's ridiculed us, are we able to look at God and say, God, it is worth exemplifying you in this moment. And being like you in this time, Lord, allow me to exercise agape love or charity. Charity is serene. It's calm and peaceful. It's not easily provoked. It's not always lashing out. Number two, not only is charity selfless, not only is charity serene, but number three, charity is sincere. In verse number six, we'll find this. The Bible says, Rejoiceth, this charity, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Now this is when somebody messes up How do you react when you see them mess up? I'll tell you right now, one of the biggest flaws in Christianity is the way we write off preachers and ministers who fail. You know why we write them off? Because there's a bit more public than everybody else's. We criticize them. Oh, I can't believe he would fall. Oh, you can't believe the guy that was a sinner just like you failed? You can't believe the guy that struggles with the same types of temptations as everybody does. You can't believe that he's struggles. And I'm not talking about, uh, you know, really, really wrong and illegal stuff. I'm just saying we have written off a lot of good men because of their actions. And yet agape love doesn't rejoice in the iniquity. Agape love doesn't say, oh, we're proud of you for doing that, keep up the good work. No, 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 no. Agape love does not rejoice in the iniquity, but it is able to restore the fallen brother. And that is one of the things that I love most about my father. You know what I say about my dad? He's the friend of the outcast. We don't have many Paul chapels to preach in our pulpit. We don't have the guys that are big names. It's not that they won't come. All I got to do is call and schedule them. We have guys who love God with all their heart, but for one reason or another, people have just written them off. And, and they've, it's not that dad's just like, oh yeah, we heard you got in trouble with the law. Come preach for us. But my point is this. Can we just extend a little grace after all? Isn't that agape love? We do it. We, we we write people off as soon as we see them fail, and this is what we like to do. Oh yeah, but look at what they did. I knew that was coming. No, no, that's not agape love. Agape love doesn't boast itself, take pride in the fact that you saw their failure aforetime. You know, that kind of says to me, you were a little judgy, and you just decided to cast your indictment on their character long before they even failed. You know, sometimes you're wrong. Today as we're watching the Cowboys game, I'm sorry, the Cowgirls game, um, my in-laws are from Carolina, my mother-in-law is a great big Carolina fan, it was hilarious today, she was like, you know it, she came out in a Carolina Panthers t-shirt, and I was like, okay mom, that's a little much, she goes, did you know that I've never bought a piece of Carolina Panthers, uh, uh, like garment ever, and I was like, Really? I, was like, I don't think I have any Cowboys stuff. I was like, I'm a closet Cowboys fan, okay? I don't like everybody knowing. And she comes back about 15 minutes later. She's like, On second thought, I have bought a lot of Carolina Panthers gear. I just didn't remember. It's kind of funny. We're watching the game, and everybody, there was a lot of commotion. You know, there was a lot of kids over there. And, and the Cowboys made a bad play. And uh, I go, oh, Are you serious? You know, I got into the game. I was like, Come on, guys. And mom comes in the room, she goes, what, did we throw an interception? And Charlie goes, mom, when he's mad, that's good for us. (laughs) Because I was cheering for the Cowboys, she was cheering for the Panthers, so when I got upset, that meant something happened good for them. But this is the thing in Christianity, I don't think we all realize, we're all on the same team. And it's so odd to me to see people cheer when others fail on their own team. One time I got in trouble, I was the quarterback at JCA. You know, I I, I was quarterback for my uh, junior and senior year, and I I took the snap one time, and we had been getting offsides and offsides and offside penalties, and it was just so frustrating. I actually got a flag thrown on me for doing something to one of my teammates. I took the ball after he had jumped offsides again. I just threw the ball at him, standing right there. I was like, you're going to learn one way or another how to get this right. Why? Because we're on the same team, and the team only progresses when we're all in sync. The Bible says, brethren, it is good for brethren to dwell in unity. Divisions ought not be- belong in that place of worship and in God's house, but they do. Charity is sincere. We ought to be on the same team and we ought to be able to restore. The Bible says, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one. One that's caught in a fault. It takes a spiritual person, a godly person, a person who has... Agape type of love to be able to extend grace to restore someone. So uh, charity is selfless. Charity is serene. Charity is sincere. And we'll find in verse 7 and 8, Charity is steadfast. Charity beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Charity is such a wonderful thing, and if we could only, only, be able to get it, if we could really get it down, I believe it would mean so much to God that our church would all be on the same page. Amen. Last week, obviously, I've mentioned it, but we spoke about brotherly love. You I mean, hear something sad? This is how important love is in our church. Two different times after I preached that message last Sunday, two different times, in two different separate events. I heard of occasions where people in our church were not extending brotherly love. Right after the message. And I'm saying that message is so powerful that it ought to change things. I'm saying this. The devil knows that if he can make our church loveless, it will be lifeless. If he can get us quarreling amongst each other, if we can... If he can get us being mean towards one another, mean spirit is whether or not that's actual vocal or just internal. If he can get us to the point where we have issues with one another, here's what happens. We're loveless, we're lifeless. Nobody wants to come to a church where love is not present. The whole thing that attracts us to, love, to Christ, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only. Remember, it's not just you He died for, but for the sins of the world. We must have charity. And charity is steadfast. There is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. So what is it that someone can do to you that will make you stop loving them? Charity is to be an outflow of our relationship with God. The love we've experienced, we now exercise. This love isn't dependent on performance. It's not dependent upon activity. It is simply love because God loved us and we love what God loves. Number three, we saw the priority of charity, the uh, product of charity, and number three, the plan of charity. Sorry, my voice is kind of struggling, y'all, so I probably won't scream too much the rest of the night. But uh, Verse number 8, the Bible says, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, they shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But now skip down to verse number 13. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these... It's charity. Here's the plan for the New Testament church. Corinthians is a book that deals with spiritual gifts. There's a lot of instruction and information in the book about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, almost the entire chapter deals with spiritual gifts in the church. What had happened was the church at Corinth had become increasingly prideful about the gifts that God had given them. You can see that in verse number 1 of chapter 12. Paul addresses it, he says, "...now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Ye know that you were Gentiles." In other words, he says, "...you used to be nobody, and now you're somebody in Christ. You used to be Gentiles, carried away unto dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God called Jesus accursed, and that uh, no, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost." Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversity of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. You see, the entire chapter deals with spiritual gifts in the church. Have you noticed that we have not had anybody recently just bust out into tongues in our church service? It's good, because that's what the security team's for, actually. Have you noticed nobody's just stood up in the middle of church and began to prophesy? Well, clearly these types of things are biblical, but why are they not still practiced? We actually covered in in chapter number 13 it says when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. And it actually says in verse number, let's see, verse number 8, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, that was a spiritual gift in chapter 12, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, that was a spiritual gift in chapter 12, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Chapter 12 is referencing spiritual gifts. Now stay with me. Chapter 13 is referencing spiritual graces. Spiritual gifts in this context would pass away, tongues would cease, prophecies would cease. At what point would they cease? You may be asking. When that which is perfect is come. You know what the Bible says about itself? It says that it is the perfect word of God. It is inerrant, infallible. It is eternal. There is nothing wrong with the Bible that we have. And once this canon was closed, once this book came, that which was in part would be done away with. Tongues, prophecies, extra wisdom given of God, extra knowledge given of God outside the realm of Scripture would be pointless because we have that which is perfect. Okay, so spiritual gifts would pass away. Spiritual graces, on the other hand, would not. Now, I want to share with you verse number 31 in chapter number 12 because this is important. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So if we were to imagine it like this, now this isn't maybe the best analogy. If, if chapter 12 were like a, a movie, chapter 12 would be version 1 of that movie. And at the end of the movie, there would come up on a black screen in white letters these three words, to be continued. He says, everything else in in one, in movie one, is passing away to be continued. And he says, in the next movie, I'm going to show you something even better than what you have now. Oh, you have tongues now, you have prophecies now, you have extra revelation now. All of this is movie one, and he says... To be continued, I'm going to show you something more important, more practical, more effective. And he says, but covet earnestly, he's saying, covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way, he's saying, movie two is what you ought to be focusing on. Movie two is the one where the gifts actually matter. They begin to go into effect in the church. And and that's how God's going to use you to evangelize a lost and dying world. Not movie one. It doesn't matter if somebody stood up tonight and said, That was kind of like more Muslim than us. I don't know how to speak in tongues though. I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter if you can do that because that is so in part. That is just part of what God was wanting to do. And he says, but that which would last would be these three. Notice them. These three, verse number 13. At the conclusion of the movie, we find out the most important graces went from gifts in movie one to graces in movie two. And now abideth, now remaineth. Now stand strong. You spend your time investing in these. These don't go away. These don't pass away. This is God's plan and will for your life. And now abideth faith. The foundation of faith. Hope. A heavenly hope. Charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Are you with me? You understand what he's saying. There's churches tonight, entire denominations built upon tongues. And an excitable worship environment. That's that's the first movie. We're over that. But I'm here to say, just because we don't speak in tongues, I'm not sure we have the second movie down. Faith, hope, charity. It is so important. We cannot live the Christian life the way that God wants us to live it unless we have charity. I want you tonight, think with me, the favorite Christmas gift you've ever gotten. Your favorite Christmas gift. I'll tell you my two while you think about it. Uh, My first one was, I kind of mentioned it last Sunday. I don't know, I'm preaching so much now, I don't know what night it was. But I mentioned it a few uh, sermons ago about the Nintendo 64. Remember I told you we got into the bags and we had to cover up our tracks. The Nintendo 64 was one of my favorite all-time gifts. It's, I think it's probably one of the best gaming systems of all time. My mom and dad were really apprehensive to get into the video game thing, but when they finally did it, it, was like, yeah, you know, all my buddies had it before me. I got it in two years later, but I was like, I can play at my house. I don't have to go over to their house. I mean, it was just a great day for me. So number one was my Nintendo 64. Number two, I believe I was four years old, maybe five. I woke up on Christmas morning. I come outside my room, go to the living room where all of our uh, uh, Santa had put all of our presents, and uh, uh, there, leaning against the couch, was a chipmunk twenty-two. Now this gun was very small, about this big. So it fit me perfectly. It was just a single shot, but it taught me how to aim. It taught me how to be safe with a rifle. You say, at four years old? Yes, and I've only shot one person. <laughs> so if they had got me in later, who knows how many deaths there would have been. <laughs> See, I, that, those are my two favorites. Think with me, if you will. What's your favorite? Think. Get it in your mind. What's your favorite? Now, let me ask you. Do you still use it? I don't even know where my Nintendo 64 is. I wish I did. If you find it, let me know. <laughs> I don't know where my Nintendo 64 is. I do know where my chipmunk is. It is the, th- the weapon of choice for my mother when she kills snakes in her chicken pen. <laughs> I don't use it that often, though. Have you ever heard this phrase, this is the gift that keeps giving? I can honestly say I've never been a partaker of many of those. The day my wife learned how to make sweet tea, that was the gift that keeps giving, if you know what I mean. But I've never, think about it, how many Christmas gifts are the gift that keeps giving? What God is saying is if we will have charity, it is the gift that keeps giving. Not only in our spirit, but in the spirit of those who who partake of it as we exercise it in our life. What we've done is we've put love in this very small box. And we say, you know what, I'll just love who I want to love. And I'll be annoyed with who I want to be in love. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was being annoyed by who I want to be in love with. That was strange. But... But we've put love in this very small box, and we say, these are the parameters of that box, and anybody that can fit in that box, as long as they believe like me, and look like me, and live like me, and are on the same uh, uh, fiscal plane as me, as long as we can all get these things in order, then I'll just, I'll be okay with these people. But love is so much more than that. Both brotherly love uh, just breaks down the barriers of those walls, and agape love goes even farther to not just loving your neighbor, but loving your enemies. Do you have that love? If you don't, the Bible says, everything else you're doing for God is useless. Not my words. Though we speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, useless though I have gifts of prophecy and though I have gifts of all these many things, useless. I become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Do you have this love? I would say we all need to work on this type of